The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. You don't seem all that far away. I just came from Tassajara. I was there till yesterday with a lawyer's retreat. And I count it as a great success that we've done it. This was the 11th time. And last time, and mostly, and this time completely, each time like I went to the work meeting and said, hello, and here we are, and it's a lawyer's group. No tittering, no laughing. And, and it came up again when we left, and there was another time nobody laughed. And I'm just thrilled that there is some understanding that lawyers need this and that there's... Um, there's a lot of sincerity, a lot of lawyers that want to do good work. So this is the first year, you guys. <laughs> Ten years from now, no laughing. So I do like Buddhism, but I decided not to talk about it someday. Maybe there's a... Uh, I was nervous. Now I'm going to do it anyway. I was, I was a little concerned. There's a, uh, you know, it's the, the uh, grows out of the big Lebowski, the dude abides. So there is, in fact, a church of Dudism. You could Google it. And they have, I couldn't find it the other day, but they have, one of the things on their website is a church sign. You know, the kind of thing that says, the sermon this Sunday will be blah, blah. And, and you can you can do something or another so that you can make the sign say whatever you want. But my sister sent me this sign. That's how I first heard of this church. She sent me one and it said, and this is, it made me a little, I, I thought you might not like this, so close your ears if semi-obscene words offend you. It said, <clears throat> dance, grow things, and try not to be a dick. <laughs> I guess it didn't offend you. If I, or maybe if it did, you're not going to say so. So that's fine. Um, but there, there's actually something else I want to talk about. You could write. I mean, you, just listen to that. You could, you could give the Dharma talk from that, right? You don't need me. So there's another thing I've been thinking about always think about, you know, what, what is the self? What in the world are we doing here? You know, one of the marks of existence is no self, but you know, it hurts if I pinch myself on and on. So something, something's here. And I'm always reminded of <coughs> this wonderful exchange from Alice in Wonderland. The caterpillar says, Who are you? And she thinks to herself, this was not an encouraging opening for a conversation. At that point, she was, it was early on, she had you know, grown and shrunk and grown and shrunk a few times. She says, she responded, I, I hardly know, sir, just at present at least. I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. <laughs> We do, you know, we do. 
not quite so visibly. Maybe it would be easier to manage whatever this is if our changes were not so subtle, but often they're pretty subtle. The uh, three marks of existence are impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and no self. So Buddha teaches us that there is no permanent self. There is no unchanging self. There's really no self at all. At least not with a small s. Sometimes we speak of a capital S self. Big self. Buddha nature. Universal self. Oneness. You name it as you like. That's not that accessible to us in our daily life. In our daily life, we have small s self. And Buddha and the teachings can tell us over and over again that there isn't any. But there is. There is. I know. You know there is. I'm talking to you. This is a small self talking to you. And your small selves listening to me. If, if I were coming from the perspective of the big self, I could not talk to you. You couldn't hear me. Right? We'd all just, there would only be oneness in the realm of bliss or something. However you want to think of it. And that's all very nice. Total emptiness, nothing but change, nothing but interconnection. That's true. That is absolutely true. And you can know it in your bones from your meditation practice. But you can't live there. Does that make sense? I mean, it's so, it doesn't make sense, but you believe me? <laughs> you, know, you know about the changing self from your own life. Just in, if you've had the experience of running into somebody that you knew 20, 30 years ago and that you haven't seen in a long time, and you start to talk to that person, and you just find out how much you've changed, you might kind of assume they have similar experiences, and then you realize, oh, no, they don't. They were on the East Coast doing something else, and I was out here doing X, Y. Right? And you, be, you have that feeling of feeling a little discombobulated and, and it brings it to you that you've changed right? you've grown up you've, certainly your body has changed if you get old I hope you get old as opposed to the alternative so you get old and you, begin, you, you feel it in your body <coughs> you can't help but know that there have been changes I was at Tassajara I, one of the things I do, and you can laugh at this, sorry. I take the lawyers for a hike because I think they really need to get out of their heads and into their bodies. So they either go on a hike or they work in the kitchen. And they're supposed to, the, the instruction is to watch their judging mind, to watch their mind that picks and chooses. So I took the, I, I led the hiking group and I don't know if any if you know Tassajara, but there's not a lot of level ground. It's in a canyon, you know. You know what Tassajara? Does everybody know what Tassajara? Is there anybody who doesn't? Anybody brave enough? Fine. Thank you. If I say something and you're not sure what I'm talking about, please ask me. Do the you know? There's probably a quarter of the room that's thinking, "What is she saying?" So be the brave one and say, "What do you say?" 
Tassajara is a Zen mountain center. It is the monastery for the San Francisco Zen Center. And it's in the mountains um, west of Big Sur, pretty much due west of Big Sur. But it's in the mountains. It's in the Ventana Wilderness. You don't get there. from You get there, you go east on Carmel Valley Road, and then you go in from that way. Okay, it's about 1,800 feet. It's where there was a huge fire a few years ago. Okay, so that's, and I, I practiced there for four years. But now I go once a year with a group of lawyers and we spend four or five days meditating and talking. Talking about issues that they have and what it is. I digress, but it's, it's a chance for them to say, I don't know. To say, I feel incompetent about da-da. Or I lose it sometimes with opposing counsel and, and I got off the phone and I just feel horrible. How do I manage this? How do I set boundaries without being aggressive? Which is a good question for all of us, right? So I, I really think it's, it's useful work because lawyers are the ones who are supposed to know. When I was a lawyer, I'd be at a party and somebody would come up to me and, and say, you're a lawyer. And then they'd ask me a question about tax. <laughs> you know, I was a union side labor lawyer. I don't know from tax. I don't know from wills. But, it, but that, that phrase, you know, you're a lawyer, you must know. So it's hard to say, I don't know. So, however... What I started to say was, so I led this hike, and it went uphill and downhill. And these legs have a really hard time with that as I get older. And I'm paying for it now. That's why I'm sitting in a chair, because my knee, especially my right knee, is, is uh, sore, and it's a little swollen. And it doesn't really want to bend if it can help it. So you know, you know this, you know that there is change in your own body. And I hope that you have the experience as you practice. I don't know, you know, you, I'm sure some of you are pretty much starting out and some of you have been meditating for a long time. But as you continue to meditate and to sit and to pay attention, you begin to notice what are called the fruits of practice. You notice yourself changing after the fact. You cannot sit in order to get something. But you'll have an experience. Somebody will say something that used to trigger you and you respond calmly and you walk away and this light bulb goes on and you thought, hey, I didn't get triggered by that. That's a fruit of practice and that's a change in this changing self. So Alice had the experience in gross way, but we have it in smaller ways, and it's a, it's a, um, it's a mystery. I started to say it's a problem. I don't know. It doesn't have to be a problem. I think we make it a problem. This selfing, as a friend of mine calls it, this selfing, because we cling to it. We want so desperately for there to be something permanent, and safe, and satisfactory. We don't like impermanence and unsatisfactoriness. 
when you're little, maybe it's kind of nice because you get to think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow up someday. But once you're grown up, <laughs> it's not always so attractive. And we, we resist change a lot of the time. It's like, I know how to do, I know how to do this. And I'm not that enthusiastic about learning how to do something else. Even my own shadow, it's something I'm familiar with. I know how to do my shadow. I know how to do my stuff. And it is part of myself. I can't, there's no point in denying that my mother was an alcoholic. She was, and that's part of who I am. Right? That's not going to go away. It's part of my, just who I am, it's also part of my shadow, the, the consequences of that. So I have to incorporate that, I have to live with it, and in some way it's permanent. However, I don't have to hold on to it the way I have in my lifetime. I don't have to make such a story of it. I don't have to make such a, I don't have to construct myself around it or my sense of self around it. Do you understand? I, I'm going to give you an example. I just, it's also a, a, it's an example of a fruit of practice. Um, so I can just, maybe this will. Anyhow, uh, my dad had multiple sclerosis. And as I say, my mother was an alcoholic. And my mother had cancer. And I used to think that I knew suffering. And you don't. <laughs> Unless... Your father was like, you know, chronically ill for 20 years and in a wheelchair and your mother had cancer and blah, blah, blah. You didn't know from suffering. And if you told me that your mother broke her leg, I, my internal response would be, well, whoop-de-doo, <laughs> big whoop. <coughs> and... Uh, and I really did, that was my sense of self, that I, my family, my family, get the my, it's my, it doesn't even have to do with anything else really, it's just the my part. My family, which defines me, my family suffered. And um, I did a lot loosen my grip about it. I used to, like, I, I wouldn't tell you all those things in one sitting because I was afraid it would end the conversation and trouble you too much, too much because it was, I'm sorry. I mean, it, it was hard. I don't mean to belittle it. But, it, but if I told it all to you, it would, it would be too much for you to handle because it was so awful. Um, and I was at the Berkeley Zen Center one day and I was leaving and I don't even remember how it came up, but I, I uh, said this, I, all of it, or some version to, uh, to uh, one of the residents there. And, and he said, well, yeah, you know, every family has its mishigas. And I said, yeah. And I walked away. And that was, one of, that was one of the major ones. I was halfway down the block and I thought, oh my Lord, I didn't, I meant that. That was it. It was not... It, my, my response was not as it would have been a couple of years before. It would have been, how dare you? How dare you say that? Mishagas, by the way, is Yiddish. And it means kind of a stew of troubles, so just in case 
you don't know. So that was a change in me. That was, a, that was because of my sitting practice, I think, letting go of my story of myself, not being so defined by my story. And I think that it's the kind of thing, this is how we loosen our grip on our on ourself. This is how we respond to <clears throat> impermanence. We, maybe I could say we, we accept impermanence. As you meditate, and over and over and over, you just, you let it go. And over and over and over, you let it go. And over and over and over, you're thinking about something, and you notice you're thinking, you're already present again, you let it go. So it wasn't that I sat we call it zazen, I imagine, you know. It wasn't that I sat zazen and thought, I'm going to let go of my story about my family. It just happened. But it didn't just happen. It happened by my, forgive me, hard work. <clears throat> because I sat still for what came up. And I sat still and learned, breath after breath after breath after breath, I learned that, there's nothing permanent here. There's nothing to hold on to, that I don't need to grasp my story, grasp my small self so hard. I could, as Uchiyama Roshi so wonderfully says, I could open the hand of thought. And we grasp our thoughts so hard, I could loosen my grip. And there still was a self, there's still, there certainly is still a self here. But I do think that I don't, I don't hold on to it so, so hard. I don't self so hard as I, as I used to. I, as Blanche Hartman, a former abbess of the San Francisco Zen Center, said, she says, I don't believe in my story so much anymore. She still has one, but it doesn't, it doesn't define her in the same way. She's willing to let her experience define her, to let you define her, to let her experience define her without thinking about it so much and without insisting on some story so much. You've probably had the experience where you, for you, you just got up, one, got up in the morning and got, took a shower and got dressed and brushed your teeth or whatever and had your breakfast and went off to work or went to do something and just boom, 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 not in a horrible way, but your day just unfolded one thing after another without your thinking about it a lot and without your resisting it a lot. And your day and the people with whom you interacted and what you did, that just defined you. Without your having to think, now I am going to get in the car, now I'm going to drive to work, now I'm going to be in traffic, now I'm not in traffic, now I'm walking in the door, now I'm turning on the computer, whatever it might be. Now I'm building a table. But your life just defined you, and it's a lot easier. And you've also, I am sorry to say, I imagine, have had days where you resisted your experience. And you woke up, and you weren't sure what you were doing, and you didn't want to get up, and you sort of got up anyway, and you didn't know what to have for breakfast, and then you didn't have breakfast, or maybe you did, and then you had coffee, and then you got in traffic, and you hated everybody in the traffic. <laughs> and you were sure they were doing it to you personally. 
you know. I suppose it, then it defined you, but it defined you in a different way from what I'm talking about. You see what I'm saying? That, that when, we, when we make, and we do make it, we make a problem out of our lives, I suppose that defines us as well, but not in a, not in a useful way. But when we simply enter into our experience and respond to it, there is a self there. But I think we're, we're a little afraid because we don't feel, when we do that, we're not in control of it. And when it just happens, it's great. But if you start thinking about it, thinking, well, who am I? Where am I? What am I doing? Who am I here? Is this okay? What do they think of me? That's when we start creating problems. And we do it, I'm sorry to say, and I do it too. <laughs> we do it all the time. We have stories and we believe them. It's one of the things the lawyers were talking about. They make, that as a lawyer, they'll make stories up about opposing counsel or their own clients or people in the office. We all have stories. And we construct selves out of the stories and we believe in those stories and then problems arise. So can we... Can we allow this self to simply respond to circumstances and let the circumstances define it? It's not easy. It's not easy. As I said before, we're so, you know, we're so familiar. I know how to do myself with all the stories and the stuff. I had an insight once early on in Tassajara. My practice was, it was much more kind of visceral, visceral and physical, and <clears throat> there's another dirty word, sorry, but I, I just, I realized that I, I had this image, and it was very, very clear to me that I was carrying around a sack of shit, and it was right here, and I was carrying it around, and I didn't want to put it down because it was mine, you know, it was kind of warm, and it protected me right here. And that's my, that was myself that I, was, that I had constructed. But I, if I put it down, then what? Then I'd be exposed. And I didn't know. I didn't know how to... This is, I didn't know how to not do that. You know, I knew how to do this self that goes to a conference and feels left out. I know how to do that. Many of us know how to do that. But how about going to a conference and walking up to the group of people that I'm perceiving as in or powerful or they all know each other. What, what about walking up to that group of people and just standing there and listening to the conversation and then joining in? Turns out it works, that's fine. It still, I mean, it still scares me a little bit. But I mean, that's a very common thing. You know, so this was my, this is the self that I carried around. And then and I used to be capable, maybe I still am, but I don't, I don't do it very much. I don't, I don't, I'm sure I'm capable. <laughs> but I don't do it anymore. Where's some wood? I was capable of going to a, a conference and feeling left out and feeling one down and then making it be true. <laughs> the laughter of recognition, yes. The thing is, speaking of selfing, I just want to 
say, I don't know if it's even a digression, but to notice that and notice how many people laugh the laughter of rec recognition and probably another significant chunk did it inside. So if you know yourself, you know me. Do you understand? I, and I know me, and therefore I know you. Not exactly, but we can use this selfing to know each other because we're really, we really are not that special. So if you know your shadow, you know your stuff, you probably know some significant chunk of mine. If you will allow yourself to know it, to really know it, and honestly look at it. Let it arise. Because impermanence means it arises, abides, and passes away if you'll let it. So that could give, you, give us courage. You know, you can, if you know it's going to pass, maybe you could be with it for 10 minutes. But this knowing of the self is really, really important and, and not taking it so seriously. Alice didn't laugh at herself particularly. I don't think she ever did in Alice in Wonderland laugh at herself. Did she? I, I haven't read it in a long time, but I don't think so. But we can. We can. I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. So the question, is that okay with you? Is that okay with you? If it isn't, then you're just going to be causing yourself trouble. And of course we do. But... What if it were okay to change? What if this selfing didn't have to be such a matter of life and death? What would it be like if we could allow ourselves to be defined by causes and conditions rather than trying to control the causes and conditions? What would it be like? And I think... I'm going to stop there and, and open it up, but that's just a really useful question to have for yourself. What would it be like? What would it be like if I just responded? It doesn't mean becoming stupid and not thinking or whatever, but if I more responded rather than trying to control, what, if it, what would it be like if the gesture were this? And I'm holding my hand open in case somebody ever listens to this. What would that be like? It's a very useful question to have. And I, I commend it to you. It's a good question when you meditate. What's going on here? Okay. So do you have any questions or comments? Don't, don't let them get you down. <laughs> yes. Um, when you said, wow, that's important. Okay. Um, Take a breath. There you go. Yes. You said when you respond, or how would it be if we just reacted to the conditions mm -hmm. around us? And my immediate thought was chaos. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, one thing is I said re responded rather than reacted, ah, which yeah. is a just, you know, these are all just words. Yeah. 
But when I say it that way, I mean um, from some place other than my natural tendency to protect my own ego and protect my idea of who I am. If I saw more clearly and, and simply responded to what was in front of me, sometimes, um, you know, if somebody... It, I'll tell you a story. I used to work in the federal prison in uh, in Dublin. It's a women's prison, and we had a uh, meditation group, and we'd we'd sit, and then we would kind of check in. And this woman one time said, "You know, this morning I've been doing this for a while now, and I found out so it was really helpful. This morning in the chow line, chow line, a woman came up to me, and she was very angry, and she was screaming at me and swearing and carrying on, which happens in prisons. There are lots of loudness, and there are people who are pretty crazy. So this woman was yelling at me, and instead of reacting, I kind of stepped back, and I took a breath, and I looked her in the eye, and I saw how much pain there was in her eyes. And so I responded to that rather than this stream of hatred that was coming at me. And everything changed, she said. So that's an example of responding rather than reacting because reacting is often where I'm, you know, I'm protecting myself or I'm reacting to my experience. You know, I feel like I just got smacked, so I'm going to smack back. So we, if we can respond from a deeper place, from, from, you know, there's like levels of, there's the self that's just grasping and protecting and fighting and there's a deeper self that's still, I guess, a small self, but my more authentic self, where I really want to be a bodhisattva. I want to be kind to people, and I want to be available to them, and so on. So respond from that place. But I can't always. It's hard to do that sometimes. Because that's, you know, the world can be a little complicated. But I make it more complicated, and I don't need to do that. But I need to be nice to myself about the fact that I do do it anyway. Because otherwise it's just, it's all, forget it. You understand what I'm saying? You have to be kind to yourself. You should be kind to yourself. You should. I'm saying should. You should be kind to yourself. <laughs> so if you would say that you still have a self? Because that's something I'm, I'm experiencing my, a lot. Yes, my experience is that I have or I am a self, a small s self. And there's truth to that. But it's not the only truth and it's not the absolute truth. And the more I can accept impermanence and change and the feeling of dissatisfaction or queasiness, something, because I think on some level in our bones, we know that we're not really these separate, standalone, independent, permanent beings that we'd like to believe. And there's a queasiness about that. And if I can just, I, I can't make that not be true, I think. That, that dissatisfaction, that unsatisfactoriness. The more I can accept it and calm down about it and just let it be, the easier it is. It's, uh, I, uh, you sit for, I mean, I have no you look very young to me. I don't know how long, maybe you've been sitting for 15 years for all I know. <laughs> but at any rate, the longer you do, the better, the it tends to get easier. I guess there are no promises. <laughs> so you sit still for something difficult, and you find out you survive, 
and then it's easier the next time. Your fear of death comes up and you, you stay there. And it arises, abides, and passes away. And you find out, oh, I can, I can do this. And things change, as they do. They're going to do anyway. But I think we should let somebody else. I'm happy to talk to you afterwards. But yes, is there anybody else? I don't believe that you don't have any questions or comments. <laughs> I feel like a school teacher. I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> yes, I'm a thank teacher. You. I've done that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. You said authentic self, and um, that pushes one of my buttons. Okay, and it it just seems to me. Um, that it it makes the the selfing more subtle and approves of it. And I've been around people who are very involved in sort of new age spirituality, and there's a lot of talk about higher power, and there's a lot of talk about authentic self, and. I I feel like when I'm um, really paying attention, every self that I am throughout the day, is, I'm, I'm trying to be as authentic in whatever is that responding. Mm-hmm. And that to say my authentic self sort of... Uh, invalidates all of the other self-states <laughs> that I cathected. Right. Could you speak to that, please? Yes, it's, it's, uh, it's like you have, to, you, know, you have to find a way to talk about this stuff somehow. And, and I will respond to you, but it's, uh, my teacher often says, don't get caught by the words. And, and I know, you know there, there's, nothing, there's nothing that you can say that isn't co-opted in some way. I mean, Zen is, I don't know, it sells soap and... There's samsara perfume by somebody who doesn't know what the word samsara means, apparently. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a day spa in Benicia uh, that's called the Zen Spa. And I couldn't resist. I went in <laughs> with like a nail salon and a spa or something. And I said, what's the Zen? And they said, oh, well, it, you know, it's, it's relaxing or something. <laughs> You know, I didn't give him grief about it, but so you know, you do the best you can. And the the thing is, it is really important to not say that there's like the good self and the bad self, or the higher self and the not higher self, and so on. But it's also true that I think that, I mean, it's just a way of talking about it. And I don't remember exactly what I said about authentic self, but but that there's there is when I when I let go of my self protecting and I have. There's something you experience often when you haven't been sitting even that long, a little gap. You have a chance to not be reactive, uh, but you, or at least to not say or do. You know, the, the, the emotion may come up, but you don't have to 
act on it. You have a chance to not. And um, when we can sink below and see more deeply, we, I think, do find a more authentic response. And uh, we were studying, there's a wonderful book by Pema Chodron called No Time to Lose. It's about the teachings of somebody named Shantideva, a monk in the 600s in India. And she, she talks about that. She talk, we were working with a chapter on anger with the lawyers. And she, one of the things she talks about was noticing what's below it. Because usually when, we're, when we react in anger, there's something underneath it. Can you be with the hurt? Can you say out loud, I feel rejected? That's a very scary thing to say. But that's much more authentic than the hell you say. You know? But the hell you say is also myself. I can't, you know, it just, it all is. It's all the Dharma and it's all myself. But I do, you know, I, for, I don't know, you can think of some other way of expressing it, but I, it, one way of expressing it is there's a more authentic self. And, and it's also one that's better able to connect. And I'm not, it's not always available to me. Sometimes I'll go off on somebody and I'll, I'll notice it and I just, I can't stop it. And, but maybe I can, you know, not go so far down the road and I can more easily apologize or something, which are also fruits of practice. But at any rate, that's what I mean. And if you want to think of another way of saying it, yeah. It's, yeah. I think this is the last one, maybe one more. Thank you. Um, It's almost nine o'clock. There was a phrase that I picked up from Stephen and Andrea Levine 25 years ago. Uh, there was a, a young man who was in the audience, and I can't remember exactly what was going on, but he was clearly lost. And he said, I just want to go to God. I just want to go to God. And Stephen said to him, well, before you become, you've got to become somebody before you become nobody. <laughs> and I thought that was very wise. You know, we're all, you know... Some of us are young and some of us are old. We're looking for careers. Uh, you know, if we cannot be attached but still have a life that we contribute to society, maybe that's what's going on there. But there, again, you know, the, uh, these kinds of things are are uh, n- n- mixed up in words, as you say. Yeah. You know, and you yes, know, you, you can do. get attached to any one of them. <laughs> That's right. You know, I mean, you know, we, we need some ego strength and we need some self, self-love, self-regard. Not narcissism, not a grasping kind of thing, but self-respect. You know, in, in Zen we say things like, please treasure yourself. Please cherish yourself. And I say sometimes, you know, please take yourself seriously. Take your practice seriously. So, yes. It's not about, it's not about becoming a blank we have, to, we have to express whatever this dharma is. I do this one. It may be that there's no self. It is that there's no self. I'm just, there's just these five aggregates. Does that mean anything to anybody? So that's what it is. It's operating. But it's this 
karmic formation of five aggregates, and I don't have a lot of choice about doing it. So I do do it. Okay, th this is it. You need to get the mic. No, this young man here. I just want to hear, we don't have much time, but about the dudism. Um, oh. <laughs> I love the Big Lebowski, and uh, there was a book like The Dude and the Zen Master. I yeah, there is. That, yeah, and it was with about a I glass. Just, I know we don't have a lot of time, but any no. like, nuggets of awesomeness from the dude. <laughs> he abides, and, and I, did, I have lectured about it, and you can Google it and you'll find it, okay? Because it's really too late. To, I don't want to start. <laughs> Dance, grow things, and try not to be a dick. I mean, it's really is kind of simple. That's a lot of awesomeness. What? That's a lot of awesomeness. Yeah, a lot of awesomeness. And just take care of your rugs. <laughs> All right. I think we should stop. Thank you very much. <laughs>